had a vision and a revelation that revival was coming to Wales, and he asked his pastor that he could gather the young people after the service and to start praying. And they gathered and they started praying. And the next night they gathered again and started praying, and more people came. And the next night they gathered and they started praying, and more people came. And at midnight he got up, walked to the door, took the key, and said, You can go home if you like, but I am locking the door, and we're not leaving until God comes. There's something significant about the end of October. The reason I felt to share that this morning, because I'm not sure specifically Martin Luther nails his articles on a Sunday, I'm not sure the power of God fell in Wales on a Sunday, but the difference was there were two people there who believed that that day did not have to be an ordinary day. <laughs> who believed that that day could be the day that made a difference. Martin Luther, as he bangs those nails into the church door, believed that that day could be a life-changing, earth-changing day. And I want to challenge you this morning, church, because so often we come on a Sunday and what we are believing for is a good Sunday. And we've had one so far, so why don't we go over? But I want to challenge you this morning, how many of you want to believe that something could start here in this house this morning? That is the beginning of something significant here in your life, here in Kings Winford, here in the West Midlands, where you are. Well, thank you for the five people of faith. <laughs> something breaks, something begins. Yeah. Yeah. And we look back on this day. God, has, God started something. Yeah. Well, it's good to see some new faces, faces this morning. Good to see some old faces this morning. Presumably, the leaders didn't tell you we were coming. <laughs> <laughs> God's given us something specific to bring this morning.
But Arnie will stay accurate and bubble beyond that. She has apologized whenever she feels she got into error or whatever. And I've got a lot of respect for somebody who does that. Sometimes I think we really good thing when you call part the Old Testament thing that if somebody did a bit of false prophecy, we took them out in the car park and chucked the bricks at them. There are a lot fewer people who claim to be prophets. <laughs> but Arnie Westerhoff released a prophetic word from Rosh Hananah, which was the Jewish New Year, which was just a few weeks ago, and it was out of this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel 14, verse 1, I'm going to skip through a few verses. It said, One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. Jump down to verse 6. Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. To all those of you having in mind, the Amadeus said, Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. And jump down to verse 23. You might like to read the whole story later. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel. One man was prepared to rush up a mountain and take on the enemy. And the prophetic word that Arlene released over the nation and over the world was this. It's time for Jonathan. It's time to wake up. It's time to stand up. It's time to rise up against the enemy. It's time to overcome the powers of darkness that have limited us and overshadowed us. It's time to shift the whole atmosphere and the whole spiritual climate. It is time for aggressive breakthrough. And I believe that is talking to each one of us as individuals in our lives. I believe that is talking to the churches in our land and in other lands. There is a call, there is a challenge coming to you as a church this morning. It's time for Jonathan who will wake up, stand up, rise up and go up against the enemy. I just read again the, the book of Judges. That's a depressing book, isn't it? <laughs> Seems to just be sad. I think God just had on copy on his iPad or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the children of Israel sinned against the Lord. Copy it. Go down a bit. Copy it. But the Lord had left very clear instructions through Moses to the children of Israel as they went into the promised land that they were to totally drive out the inhabitants of the land. They were not to make treaties with them. They were not to compromise with them. They were not to marry them. They were to totally drive out the inhabitants of the land. But let me read to you how the book of Judges begins in chapter 1. Judges chapter 1, verse 19. The Lord was with the men of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country. But they were unable to drive the people from the plains, because they had chariots fitted with iron wings. Verse 21. 
The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. And to this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites, called West Bank. Verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan, or Tanah, or Dor, or Ibrim, or Megiddo, and their surrounding settlements, for the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gaza, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites. Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites who were living in this place, I can't be bothered to pronounce. Nor did Asher drive out those living in a few places. Neither did Naphtali drive out living those living in Beth Shemesh. But the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. Neither did the Catholic Church drive them out. Neither did the Anglican Church drive them out. Neither has the Baptist Church driven them out, the Methodist Church driven them out, the Pentecostal Church driven them out, neither did the Charismatic Church driven them out, and neither has the House Church movement driven them out. And I, I don't understand that. Because it says there, God was with them, so they were quite capable of driving them out. If only they had a different determination and a different mindset. Jesus said to us ever so clearly, Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be found in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus said to us ever so clearly, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, therefore, therefore you go, and the implication there ever so clearly, you go carrying that authority. Jesus said ever so clearly, Luke chapter 10 verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Now I'd strongly recommend that you don't take that literally and go off to Texas and join one of those snake-handed But Jesus says there, Jesus says there, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. I believe God wants to challenge us today. Have we used that authority? Have we used that authority in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our streets, in our neighborhood? Have we used that authority as a church in this community? Have we driven out the spiritual lights that are still living here in Dublin? <coughs> Have we used that authority? Have we driven out the spiritual lights that are over our families? Have we driven out the spiritual lights that are over our personal lives? You see, most Christians and most churches operate under the existing spiritual climate. Most Christians and most churches operate within the existing spiritual atmosphere. 
The end of that passage in Judges chapter 1 verse 34 says this, The Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down into the valley. Now in the mountains, you can see all sorts of things. In the mountains, you get wonderful, refreshing breezes. In the mountains, you can even feed sheep. But in the mountains, you can't birth lambs. In the mountains, you can't raise a harvest. But in the mountains, you can't go fishing. And God is calling his church, it's time to come down from the mountain and possess the lands he has given us. It's time for Jonathan's to arrive. Actually, the main bit that impacted me in that whole story of Jonathan comes in chapter 4. You flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19.
I'm right there. What do blacksmiths do? The first thing blacksmiths do is first they have to heat up a red hot furnace. I'm not talking about a few sparks, I'm not talking about a few flames. How many of you like to barbecue in the summer? <laughs> Actually, this is England and the West Midlands. I bet some of you go out there in the rain and I'm glad to But anybody who barbecues knows that you can't cook good meat on flames. You have to build up a bed of hot coals. Are you with me? Any blacksmith will tell you you can't work metal, you can't make anything on flames. You have to build up a bed of red hot coals. That's the first thing. And actually, we Pentecostals are pretty good at stirring up a bit of a flame. You are fine preaching. Say amen, say hallelujah. Say amen. We Pentecostals are good at stirring up the blades. Charismatics are really good at generating a few flames. <laughs> but we're not so good at rising up the people who are living passionately on fire. Radical and compromising for Jesus. There's a prophetic word. Don't you really like prophets? There's still very few good prophets, true prophets in the land. But I remember when I was a young Christian, and I don't think I've ever totally escaped from it. When you know that there was a powerful prophet in the church on Sunday morning, my goodness, you make sure you're looking right <laughs> But we all love a prophet to come and give a humdinger of a blessing word, don't we? But there's a recognized prophet recently released a word over a city near us, which went roughly like this. This city is called to be a detonator city that impacts the whole surrounding area. But this city is living and rotted, locked, locked up because God says you just like Leo to see her. At that moment there were not many people, whatever colour of their skin, running around the room going hallelujah, and and jumping up and down. But that's the prophetic word that was released. That city, this city. God says, it's like they have to see it. And they're quoted, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I know your deeds, says the Lord, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. I guess the alarming, challenging thing is I think that word could actually be spoken over many Christians in this land. That word could actually be spoken over many churches and many cities in the land. And God goes on, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. God hates lukewarm. God hates double-mindedness. God hates half-heartedness. God hates passive passengers. 
this word we've just seen back in July. The churches together, a group of pastors in this city got around to discussing it a week ago. I said, Chris, what, what do you think? I said, if it taken you four months getting around to discussing if you are involved, you are involved. <laughs> Jesus said to that church, and perhaps he's saying to us, here I am, stand at the door and knock, be earnest and repentant. Amplified Bible, be enthusiastic. The New King James, be zealous. The New Living Translation, be diligent and turn from your indifference. The Message Bible, which is always good for a laugh, up on your feet then, about face, run after God. Up on your feet about things you run after. Not the Greek word, to be honest, is the Greek word say no. Do you know what it means? Be fine, Lord. That's perhaps gets it best of all. Jesus said, You're the Lord. Repent and be fine, Lord. God is looking for soul down, radical, passionate, blazing, fiery people in this land. Oh, how thoroughly wonderful. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And the gift there is not the gift from God, it is the gift of the life of God inside of you. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit who is in us. And the Holy Spirit who is in us can either be some molder, smoldering emblems or he can be a blazing inferno of a flame. And Paul has to write to Timothy, the apostle, the pastor, the man of God, he has to write even to Timothy and say, Timothy, you need to stir up those flames you're letting them die down, man. You need to stir up that fire that is within you. New NIV even puts it this way, I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God. God is looking for blacksmith preachers and blacksmith pastors in blacksmith churches who will raise up a people who are totally on fire for Jesus. <laughs> What's the second thing the blacksmith does? The second thing the blacksmith does is to purify the metal. Having built up the fire, the next thing he does is to put the metal into the fire because you can't do anything with impure metal. You heat up the metal, all the dross, all the impurities rise to the surface. You skip off the, the impurities. We need purifying furnace churches again. Not just goosebump churches, not just bless me churches. Purifying holiness churches. Talking about the Welsh revival and Welsh revival, they wrote to Evan Roberts and said, Evan, what are the keys to revival? And he said, If you want a revival, you need four things. Number one, you must confess before God every sin in your past. Number two, we must remove anything that is doubtful in our lives. 
Number three, we must say and do all that the Holy Spirit tells us to do. Number four, we must make a public confession with Christ. I was spending some time with the Lord. I was crying out for God for him to move in our land, crying out for God for the fullness of the, the, the Spirit and his power. And he said to me, ever so clearly, Christian, on this. Sort of, I don't want this one to waste it up and up, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, I want this. And he said back ever so clearly, Chris, if you want this, you can't have that. And since then, not some months ago, since then, I'm on a process and a journey trying to find out everything that that includes in my life. And what I can tell you is the that's in my life are not the same as the that's in your life. You see, there's stuff in our life that's okay because it's hidden. There's stuff in our life because we can't find a specific Bible commandment. There's stuff in our life that's okay because other Christians do it. But God is saying, if you want this, you can't keep that. You can't have that. We have been so busy preaching grace. We have been so busy preaching the Father's love. And my goodness, we needed this season yeah. preaching that stuff because you go back to when I was first saying we were the church of the legalistic band of people. We've been so busy preaching grace, so busy preaching the Father's love. We've been so busy preaching that it's nothing to do with my righteousness. We are fully righteous in Christ. Never smile at that moment. We've been so busy preaching. Those things. That we've forgotten to preach holiness. That we've forgotten to preach the fear of the Lord. And what have we ended out with? We've ended out with the wishy-washy church, but to be honest, it's a little distinguishable from the people out there and the place where you put water on Sundays. Churches again 
to raise up a holy people and to raise up the fear of the Lord again. We don't want to say What does the blacksmith do then? The blacksmith takes the purified metal and he starts to hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and hammer it. He's not making anything yet because the metal isn't yet ready to have something made out of it. He's hammering it to temper it. He's strengthening it. He's giving it resilience. He's giving it character. Because you can't make anything with untempered metal. In the charismatic Western church, we have got really good at encountering his presence. I We've got really good at worship. We've got really good at words and pictures. And some of them are even from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> But we're really not so good at character. Come on, don't look at me like that. I didn't drive all this way. I didn't come to the West Midlands where we put the miserable people around the Oh, come on, can you be honest? Charismatic churches have all sorts of wonderful things we're really good at, but we're really not very good at character. We're really not very good at integrity. We're really not very good at faithfulness. We're really not very good at sacrifice. They're so busy getting blessed that if it's not a blessing, we can't find it. Let me give you an example. Um, about a month ago now, Trace hosted the ladies' conference down in Trowbridge, which I would thoroughly recommend, coming first of September next year. <laughs> but the, the Trace hosted the ladies' conference, and for months beforehand, we were training up ministry teams, prayer teams, serving teams, ministry of helps teams. We had some sessions on Zoom to pray and to, to train and to equip. But you know, in a few days leading up to the conference, one by one, by text or by phone call, we had somebody to phone up. And I think, I'm kind of feeling tired. I'm serious. And then we had somebody else phone up. So I don't think I can come on. Something else has come up. And then we had somebody else phone up. With, I, I, I'm not feeling 100%. I mean, in England, I've felt 100% since July. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, God has spoken to us about a month before. You know the story in the Bible of the person who prepares a feast and sends out the invitation to come, and everybody else has bought two oxen, and there's maybe a wife, and whatever. And we thought, God, what are you doing with that? And God was just, well, just wait with it, you'll understand. And so, okay. One after the other, we lost over half of the ministry team we've been working with and training. What was the issue there? The issue there was character. Whatever's happened to character, whatever has happened to integrity, whatever's happened to faithfulness, whatever happened to reliability, to endurance, to perseverance, whatever happened to responsibility and accountability in the body of Christ, whatever happened to sacrifice, 
We're in a sort of this wonderful thing that's happening in the city near us, where actually churches right across the denominational um, range are starting to meet together and pray. And we've discovered that the liberal Roman Catholic Church is actually born again and spirit-filled and speaks in other tongues. And we've discovered that the local Orthodox priest is born again and spirit-filled and speaks in other tongues. So, gathering to pray, well, of course they've got their different style, but that's fine. Who says my style is right? And this week, Tris spent a whole morning with the Orthodox priest, and he was talking about how an Orthodox theology and Orthodox mindset sacrifice is at the real heart of their thinking and their mindset. And he was sort of trying to find out where, where, where sacrifice fitted into charismatic Christianity, and Tris was desperately avoiding that conversation. <laughs> Didn't Jesus say this in chapter 9, verse 23? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. That's character. Isn't this the essence of Christ's life? We're so busy focusing on wanting to do the miracles of Jesus, we've forgotten about building the character of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw aside everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary. We need blacksmith pastors and blacksmith preachers in blacksmith churches to forge character and strength in God's people again. <coughs> and what's the fourth thing the blacksmith does? And interestingly, I thought, thought I'd, I'd be modern and hip and you know, do all that stuff. I thought I'd find you a, a, a YouTube clip and blacksmiths are working. <laughs> and you know, if you go on YouTube, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of clips on how to be a blacksmith, but they all start with stage four. <laughs> What's the last thing the blacksmiths do? And they can't do it without building up the fire. They can't do it without purifying the metal, tempering and strengthening the metal. Once they've heated the furnace, once they've scraped off the dross, once they've strengthened and tempered the metal, then they can forge effective tools and weapons. It's time for the church to wake up, rise up, get up, stand up and wage effective warfare again. It's time for us to dispossess and dislodge the Philistines who have lid it and locked us in for too long. It's time 
For churches to stand up, wake up, rise up, and wage effective warfare and break the status quo, to shift the spiritual atmosphere, to change the spiritual climate. It's time for churches to rise up and exercise that rule and authority of Christ on the earth and establish the dominion of the kingdom of God here in King's Ringford. Your kingdom come is meant to be more than a prayer you prayed at school. It says in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. God is looking for those forceful men, those forceful women, those forceful youth, those forceful old people who will become kingdom advancers. But we are not going to live under this spiritual atmosphere anymore. We're not going to put up with those idols messing up my family anymore. I'm not going to put up with that poverty spirit in my family anymore. I'm not going to put up with that spirit of sickness and infirmity taking people too young in my family anymore. I'm not going to put up with that spirit of divorce that generation after generation in my family destroys homes. I'm not going to put up with those, those ites that rule over King's Winford. They have sat here too long. They have been secure here too long. It is time for the church to raise up and dispossess the spiritual forces and establish the kingdom of God. It's time for churches to train and equip their people how to take authority in prayer. It's time for churches to train and equip their people how to wield effectively the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. To train the people how to, how to bind on earth what is bound in heaven and loose on earth what is loosed in heaven. Train our people again how to use the name of Jesus how to use the power of the blood of Jesus. How to stand in the victory of Calvary. To for this purpose the Son of Man was revealed. To destroy all the works of the enemy. It's done. It's paid for. It was accomplished on Calvary. Jesus on the cross hung there and shouted in a loud voice. It's half done. years ago, to realize who Jesus is. He's not this cute blue-haired guy with sunset hair who goes around holding a kitten. He is sad upon the throne as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the name of
heavenly places. We've camped in our revelation of God as Father. And we needed that revelation, but we can't camp there. We have forgotten that one of his names through the Old Testament is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And I love the modern translation. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. We have forgotten that it says in Ephesians chapter 15, verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. We've so camped in the revelation that Jesus is our friend and Jesus is our brother that we've forgotten that that same Jesus when he appeared to Joshua just outside Jericho, he was holding a drawn sword and he said this like he says to you this morning. Jesus said to Joshua as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. My favorite passages, a lot of you will know this. Back in the Middle Ages, just before the Reformation, I did a week of a whole series here called, Swords, uh, called School of Spirit. Some of you are still alive. That's what I love happens a week after week, we go back to the same passage, which this, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, my sister, and if you've ever wondered why Paul kept on writing finally when he barely started his books, <laughs> why Paul, like any preacher, said finally and then said more afterwards than he did beforehand, it's because in the original Greek, the word finally actually means from now on. God wants to challenge us this morning, from now on we'll be willing to be different. Yeah. From now on, it says, brothers, sisters, be strong in the Lord. And the Greek word there is endunimo, which means be strong inside. Yeah. From now on, brothers and sisters, that big, blazing, hot, furnace, Holy Spirit raging inside and in the power of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the works of the devil, but we do not wrestle against flesh and bones. And I think I've shared this here before. Just and I did a group in our area called Westwood Survives, and it's called Westwood Survives because WA happens to be the same initials as the World Wrestling Association. <laughs> And I joke that most charismatics can stop after the first few words of that verse and just say this, we wrestle not. And God is looking for a generation that will rise up and wrestle again. That will rise up and fight again. That will rise up and say enough is enough. We are the generation that are going to be Jonathan. We are the generation who will wake up, rise up, stand up and go up against the enemy and dispossess the ice that have limited us, limited our families, limited this church and other churches for too long. We are willing to be that generation. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Exciting part of the 
boxing all the weapons and props. The only thing that's lacking is us taking those weapons and having fun. It's time. I don't know if I'm even having a time listening to some musicians. I don't care what you play this
Hamas attacked Israel three weeks ago. Young Israeli men jumped on airplanes to go home to Israel so they could fight. When the First World War broke out in Britain in 1914, they opened recruitment booths in pubs and in sports stadiums and in the streets because the surge of young men who wanted to fight was so great. When Russia sent its forces into the Ukraine, into the Donbass, thousands of young Ukrainian men ran to sign up to enlist to join the army. And then thousands ran from the frontiers to get out of the nation. Which of you? There'll be some this morning who will run to this, and some this morning who will run from this. But God told us very specifically this morning, open a recruitment office. Open a recruitment office. Well, folks, the recruitment office is open. If you were there and you want to commit to this, you want to sign up for this, you want to be part of this, you're saying, that's what I want God to do with my life. That's what I want God to work in my life. That's what I want God to work in my church. I want to sit under those blacksmith preachers. I want to be led by a blacksmith pastor. I want to be in the blacksmith church that makes a difference and doesn't just give me goosebumps. I want to have God heat up my life so I am sold out and on fire. I want God to purify me because he can only do it by his spirit and not by self-works. I want God to develop my character so that I'm some use. I want to be a weapon in his hand. I want to fight. I want to shift the atmosphere. I want to be breakthrough in this area. If that's you, the recruitment office is open, God.